my dad was just everywhere. Everywhere I needed him to be, he was. He got in somehow close to the start line. And when I was doing my strides back, like away from the start line, my dad was just there. I mean, how did he know I was going to do strides toward that back area instead of being up, you know, ready to start the start of the race? I have no idea, but he was there and gave me a hug. And then after the race, my dad is like right up on the fence first person to give me a hug and I just wish I had like someone would have seen that and taken a picture because it was like one of the most special moments in my life and my dad was just like the best person to be there and I'm just like so thankful and don't even know how to tell him how wonderful it was that he was exactly where I needed him at all moments you know hello podcast world welcome to episode 50 of run chats with Ron runs NYC Jen Bigham at Local Elite is an inspiring, badass mom of four who chased down her eight-year Olympic trials qualifying quest by breaking the tape, scorching a 241 in the Eugene Marathon. Jen grew up watching her dad race 5Ks and marathons, started running in middle school, and never looked back. She competed in high school at an Ohio State where she battled injuries, but enjoyed working with Coach Sparks, who believed in Jen and also went on to coach two of her siblings and Molly Seidel at Notre Dame. Yeah, that Molly Seidel. After having her daughter in 2010, she started training again and surprised herself running a 5K PR in her first race back postpartum, which really shaped the athlete she is today. Her older brother planted the seed she could qualify for the Olympic trials. His strong belief in Jen and being a multiple-time qualifier himself helped give Jen the courage to believe it too, though she couldn't run three miles at that qualifier pace then. Wow. We discussed coaches, mentors, belief, self-belief, hitting plateaus, breaking through them, health challenges, a GI bug, mindset, visualization, Atlanta Olympic trials with her family and dad being everywhere she needed him, traumatic birth of her fourth child, bouncing back, finding her speed again, knowing your why, chasing the best version of herself, being a high school coach, giving back, and mentoring. Talk about a crazy fast family. Her younger brother also qualified for the trials and is coaching Jen now. Jen would love for them all to run the next trials, and I'm here for it, and hosting that family pod when it happens. Hope you all enjoy this one as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Jen Bigham, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How you doing today? I'm great, Ron. How are you? We're doing great. Doing great, man. How's everything? You're in Pittsburgh, right? Yes, I am. It's a rainy day outside. Rainy day in PA? Were, yeah. were you guys suffering the heat wave that we're having like in the Northeast uh, or pretty yes. much? Yes, very much so. So the rain is welcome. <laughs> yeah, a little little trading break from the 5,000 degree temperatures. I feel like I'm running on the sun recently more than <laughs> yes. anywhere else, but I can't complain. I got a lot of friends in Florida and Texas and and, uh, and Cali, and you know it's probably hotter, hotter where they're at, right? For sure, yeah. Cool. So um, just give everybody like a little 
introduction on Instagram, your local elite. Maybe just a little intro on where you're from, where you grew up, a little bit about your family before we get into the convo itself. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a um, rural Ohio with four siblings and my mom and dad um, in a village, really. I mean, very tiny farm and factory town. Um, we all just had like a very free childhood. Um, and then, yeah, I went to Ohio state, you know, well, I started running in middle school, you know, um, went to Ohio state and ran, uh, I've lived all over in Seattle in Boston and Rochester, New York, and landed here in Pittsburgh. Absolutely love it here. I have four kids of my own now and a husband and we live right in the city. And, uh, yeah, I love to race and run and, um, I, and do everything, like all the wonderful things the city has to offer. Love it. That's a great intro. So you're, <laughs> you're, a heart, you're in the heart of Pittsburgh now. You're in yes. the community. Yes. Uh, you got the Three Rivers thing going, the Steelers, Steeler Nation, all that. So that's cool. And yeah, it's good stuff. Um, so did you have a stoplight in town? Are we talking that small? Like, what, what are we talking in terms of smallness here? We had a stoplight that I think only worked during school hours and it was right by the school. So it, it was three little villages that come together to make this one school. Um, and I graduated, I think, with the biggest graduating class of 51. Wow. That is that is super small. <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just love I love uh I had Angel Piccarello on and I think oh, you yes. you guys I share her, yes. you guys share the Wazell connection because I know you guys are both involved with Wazell and mm -hmm. it was so funny because uh that was literally one of the first things we stopped on. I was like, Well, wait a minute, do you even like have traffic lights in your town? Oh, she's like, yeah. um, yeah. And she's like, you know, like every single person, and it's yes. like yeah, so very similar in terms of that super, yes. super small, like tight knit community, but it's kind of, in some ways, I think it's super cool, but I'm sure now, you know, being in Pittsburgh, it's just like, yeah, that's like a major, major difference, right? Well, it is, but also Pittsburgh has a way of being really small. So it does remind me of how I grew up, you know, I can't go anywhere. I mean, anywhere without seeing people I know. And even, okay, let's say I don't see someone I know. I'm in the grocery store. I'll get in a half hour long conversation with some person I've never met before, you know? And I was at a party a few nights ago, a birthday party. And my friend said, um, oh yeah, I met this person on an airplane and that's how we became friends. And I said, that's so Pittsburgh. Like a Pittsburgher starts talking to someone on an airplane, the next thing you know, and they live halfway across the country. And the next thing you know, you're best friends and you're flying in from Houston to this person's birthday party. You know, that is like very Pittsburgh. Everyone knows everyone. Love it. You got, <laughs> yeah. I mean that, but that's super cool. So yeah, the population's bigger, but it's got yeah. that very small hometown feel. Uh, everybody's into the teams and sports and, you know, outdoors, like the outdoor life being involved. So running is a great, you know, great place for you in the community. I mean, you know, local races, the local racing scene is great, which we're not going to get into that stuff yet because we're, we'd be jumping the story. Um, but yeah, it is cool because uh, certain people grow up in areas where, you know, running is really just not that prevalent or maybe you're running, but there really isn't like a local race community or a big presence. Like obviously you mentioned Boston along with some of the other cities you're in. And I'm, I've lived in New York City for a long time. Now I'm directly across the river, a four minute ferry ride. So, you know, it's the New York Roadrunners who puts the New York City Marathon 
Marathon. Boston, the BAA puts on the Boston Marathon. You know, Seattle has a big running community. You know, when you live in these bigger places, I mean, racing is part of what goes down. Right. Um, but for other people, they're not so lucky. Um, you know, it's more, it's more work. So Pittsburgh's kind of a little in between. It's not as big, obviously, but still, you know, they're, they're into it for sure. Right. <laughs> cool. So, um, getting involved with sports as a kid, um, what was your like first introduction to that? Like, I know your dad was a runner and that was kind of, you know, the original draw, the original pull. Yeah. <laughs> and I love to hear, you know, I always like to ask people, tell me one story instead of just saying, yeah, I followed my dad. Like, tell me something specifically like how that kind of drew you in with your, with your own running. Yeah. I don't know if, I mean, no one ever told me to run and I had pictures of me, you know, running a little kid's race beside my dad when I was like two or three years old, but I would just watch him run. And I think it's more of that, like, um, the parent not saying run, but leading by example that, um, maybe somewhere in my heart, I knew I would. And also I feel like it, it running is part of my heart. Um, so, and also in, I guess in my school, because it was so small, we didn't grow up like, oh, you can play soccer in first grade or you can do any sport. I guess we had softball in fifth grade, but there really wasn't a lot to do um, that we had just the typical sports. So um, I don't know. My older brother started running the year before and he was good. And so the summer before my seventh grade year, when I could do it, I said, oh, I better start training so I can, you know, start practice. Um, and the rest was history, but it wasn't, you know, there was no moment. I just, it just felt like a natural thing to do. Well, yeah, um, that is natural. Um, and a lot of times it's, uh, it's not a, our mom or dad. So in this case, it was, it was your dad for sure. First, you know, watching him and seeing his habits form and, you know, chasing him around a little bit when you're yeah. a, li a little right. kid scooting around and now you have four of your own. So you know what that's all about. That's, that's enough work right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, you don't need to do anything else in life other than chase your kids around. And <laughs> I know true. my mom raised three wild Indian boys, which I retell <laughs> that story in every podcast episode. Cause you know what? that's why I have strong moms on all the time. Yeah, that's yeah. why I have badass moms on all the time. Cause it's <laughs> a total homage to my mom because like all the things she's done, she's still with us. going to be 89. Like wow. it's, uh, it's a, just an amazing Testament to how, um, strong women can not only be great mothers, but great athletes and running in the Olympic trials and doing these things like you and many other women are doing. It's just, it's awesome. And there's just so much change going on. And it's a beautiful thing. So I kind of like to use my platform to help advance those kind of stories because it's Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. Yeah. And your kids are going to grow up one day and they're going to be like, <laughs> well, actually some of them are somewhat grown up, right? Give us the ages yeah. so we have an okay. idea. So my oldest uh, daughter is 11 and then I have a seven-year-old boy and then a five-year-old boy and then a six-month-old little girl. So you're, you're spaced out pretty good spaced in there. Spaced out, yeah. 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 Now we you're are. 11 and seven. Are they like, besides running around like maniacs, like we did, are they into sports at all? Are they like showing that like I'm interested in, you know, chasing mom around or being fast like mom or what, what are they into right now? None of my kids run, you know, necessarily. Oh, well, my daughter has run in races and run in school, but no one trains. My kids live a pretty typical kid life where they play all the sports. They um, you know, with their friends, they go to the playground and play soccer there. They do soccer, um, you know, official, whatever leagues, um, during the season, uh, 
Yeah, they do. They like everything. My daughter loves, I mean, she loves too many things where she's like, lacrosse is my favorite sport and gymnastics, also running, also basketball. Also, I'd like to try cheerleading. You know, she tells me something new every day. My seven-year-old is more like me. He enjoys things when he's doing it. But when I was little, I was actually, um, I mean, I don't want to say lazy, but it was hard to get me to do anything. I really like being inside and just laying around and, you know, it's, it's exactly the opposite of how I am now. Cause I'm always going, but I feel like my daughter is me right now. And my son, my, um, second born, he's just content to kind of hang out, read books. Um, and once he's out playing something, it's hard to get him to stop, but it's, he needs a nudge to get going. Love it. I, I think being well-rounded is so important. And, um, for the athletes, I've had some pro athletes and uh, ultra marathoners or Ironmen and different people. A lot of times the ones who are so successful in college or really were competing at the highest level of division one, like I did in baseball or, you know, you did in at running at Ohio state, I think there's such a high instance of burnout and, um, a coach maybe putting too much pressure on them, them putting too much pressure on themselves. Um, that's the side of the coin. You don't hear most people admitting to as freely because a lot of times it's about, Oh my God, I got to hold on to my scholarship. Oh my God, these girls are faster than me. These guys are bigger than me in baseball. They're stronger. They're hitting it. 420 feet. I can't hit it over the fence. Like we all start looking at everybody else around us and saying, do I belong here? Like, can I fit in here? And sometimes it really isn't even the coach. It's just really, we're putting that upon ourselves too. Or, you know, we want to feel like we belong and we can prove that we belong. And then that leads to, again, burnout, injuries, stress, different things that will affect us from being like the best version of ourselves. And then we come back like when we're renewed or reinvigorated in your case, like after having children and you kind of come back to running and all of a sudden you have this totally different experience. Is that, was that something like what it was like for you? Yeah. You're speaking my story. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I got burnout from, um, I really loved running in middle school. It was just this amazing thing. One of my favorite stories that just popped in my head the other day is I remember this middle school race. We had traveled like two hours to run it. And at the end, there was someone ahead of me. And um, well, usually I would win because, you know, if you train during the summer in middle school, no one does that. So just I had this base that no one had so I could win every race. But I had competition in this race and this girl was ahead of me. And um, my name, everyone called me Jenny. And her name was Ginny, J-I-N-N-Y. We didn't know that. So this finish line shoot, everyone is yelling, Jenny. It sounded like Jenny, Jenny but it was like her people and my people. And I sprinted to the finish and it was just such a good feeling. And I mean, I remember my parents taking me to McDonald's after every race, you know, and I would get a Big Mac meal and, you know, I mean, it was just all these like fun memories. And then I got into high school and I started getting injured and that is where running became, it was good, but it was just a lot of heartache, you know, and it was a lot of pressure to try to like get back. And I always thought I would get a scholarship to college. No one in my family had ever um, gone to college or gotten a degree. You know, my siblings and I were the first ones in our family to do that. So, and I don't know, I guess we all just assumed our running would take us there. And um, I kept getting injured so that I wasn't, I would get to the state meet and get injured, or I would get to the state meet, not in my best form, but I did end up um, going to Ohio state as a walk-on And my freshman year, I came in healthy and I was the um, top girl on our team, which was really exciting. But then the injury cycle just continued there. 
Uh, and it's just, you know, and with college, you have to be in shape for cross and then you have to be in shape for indoor and then you have to be in shape for outdoor. And every time you get injured, it's just so much, it's not even like your, um, Matt Sparks is my coach. He wasn't that, um, it wasn't like get back, get back, but you just feel like you want to be there for your team. And you want to go to these cool places that these big 10 schools are going. And I was just constantly getting injured, getting re-injured, getting re-injured. Um, so it was hard. So yeah, I did take off, uh, well, from the time I was 20 until the time I was about 28, when I, I ran every day, but I just did not compete, um, in a way where I was trying to be, you know, I thought that my good days were over, I guess at 20 years old, my good days were over, you know, I can run, but the competition, I'll never be good again. <laughs> isn't, isn't it amazing that that's how you felt? And it I mean, is. you, that's a hundred percent how you felt. I mean, yeah. like, of course I'm done. I'm washed up. I'll never run fast again, or I can't yeah, I'll never and, run healthy yeah. again, you know? So like why even try? Yeah. So you, you, these things, and I love getting into this sort of like mental framework of conversation because it just affects so many people. And when people do get injured and they go down into that rabbit hole sometimes they just can't get themselves out. They just cannot dig themselves out of that hole. And it's just one of the most important reasons I wanted to start a podcast, man. I wanted to share inspiring people's stories. And inspiring doesn't just mean like you running in the Olympic trials and inspiring your family and people in the community and strong women runners. All. It's just like, man, maybe you've overcome cancer. Maybe you, you know, maybe you finished a marathon in nine hours or eight hours. I don't care. It's just, there's something about everyone's story. There's inspiration there. Like, how did you get from that spot, you know, where you weren't even sure, you know, what was going on? You didn't even know if you were really ever going to run again. You didn't think you could ever run fast again. And then you have a family and you have all these other responsibilities. So it's like, whoa, I can't, <laughs> I can't come back from this. So there's a thread there. And I want to, I want to make sure that we dig into that a lot deeper because I, I know, um, it's very hard sometimes to just remember in the exact spur of a moment, which guest I had a conversation with, because <laughs> they're all so unique. Um, you know, where is somebody in their life? Did they just have their first baby? Or are they on their third or their fourth? Did, are they moving and they're now in a new community? So you have all of these other things that you're juggling and managing. And of course, not to mention, you are the mom. You're in charge of the family and all of that responsibility. So kind of pulling all of that and like, putting it together. So there you are in your twenties, you know, the college years go by from running and then you're like, am I ever going to get back to this? But in fact, you do get back to it. So for every mom out there, or even if you're not a mom yet, you know, you're just like, you're, you ran in college. Maybe you're not even married yet. You don't have children of your own, but you're like, man, my best days are behind me. It's never going to happen. Or, you know, I've gained 20 pounds and I don't feel like it. Well, you know, that journey starts with a single step. Every episode I sign off, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door because that's where it starts. That's where Goggins mentality, my thought process, how it works is like, you don't reverse course of like where you are in life or where you're stuck in life without changing some habits. Okay. So you were getting injured. You were having difficulty with injury. So you weren't the best version of yourself pressure on yourself, putting it on yourself because you want to belong, you want to earn your scholarship, you want to earn your place. There's like all these different things. And sometimes we're just not able to control them at a certain point in our life. But yet 
when we come back at a certain point a little further down the road, we can. So in your case, in your college years, you really couldn't get it right. Um, you had a good coach. Um, by the way, that's an interesting story because your coach not only coached you, okay, at Ohio State, then he coached two of your siblings and then went on to coach at Notre Dame and coached Molly, my, Molly, uh, who just won the bronze medal. So a lot going on there, right? Yeah, yeah. It was funny before the trials. Well, this might be skipping ahead too much, but before the trials, um, reporters were contacting, I don't know, sir. I don't know why they contacted me, but they contacted certain people. I don't think they contacted everyone, but I was one of the people that they were going to profile. And so they called me, did an interview. Then they interviewed different people in my life and they had called to interview coach sparks and I hadn't talked to him in years. And so he called me and said like, Hey, I just wanted to catch up with you because you know, they're trying, these people are wanting to interview you know, me about you. And I just, I want to make sure I know what's going on with you. And then we talked and then he said, oh yeah. And this Molly, um, she's going to be great. She's going to be in the top 10. You wait on a good day. She'll be in the top five. And I said, yeah, I'm wondering why are they interviewing you about me? Like, why are they not interviewing you about her? Like talk about like, bad information, but, um, I mean, I am proud of how I did, but we are on a very different level, you know? So it was kind of funny, but, um, yeah, he, he's a great coach. And I actually, Molly actually sat down right beside me before the race in the, um, staging area or, uh, waiting area. And I just had to say something to her. So I said, Hey, I just want to let you know, uh, I was coach sparks for one of his first athletes, Jen, that was Ordway at the time. And, um, you know, like you're going to do great. And she just said, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I mean, I'm sure she's heard stories of me because I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I have an interesting personality. So he said, I talked about you all the time. She'll know exactly who you are. So I made sure she sat by me and I talked to her and she just cracked up and I thought, Oh no, I don't even want to know what she knows about me. But, um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was kind of fun. And then she went on, you know, to, qualify for the Olympics and then get the bronze medal. So it was pretty cool. That is awesome. So we're, we're obviously, we're talking about Molly Seidel who ran for Notre Dame coached by, uh, you guys share a coach and you're also talking about Atlanta running in the Olympic trials, which you did. So yeah, we could jump ahead backwards. We'll, <laughs> we'll go all over the highway, man. We, we don't have any system here, but right. yeah, for those listening at home that don't know, um, yeah, Jen did get the running thing figured out. She did get the injury thing figured out. And after having four kids, uh, yeah, she landed on the starting line in Atlanta and rocked it down there running the trials. And I got to be down there. So we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. But, um, that is, uh, that needs at least 15 or 20 minutes because <laughs> that experience itself of just, um, having been down there myself. So I feel like I know much more about it than someone just watching on TV. Cause there's no way you can watch a race like that on TV and have any idea what kind of energy was going down in Atlanta because you just had to be there. And I'm, just so thankful that I was. And I got to be there for a few days and be out there. And also even just to run the course and feel, you know, you the terrain it, yeah. and the hills <laughs> yeah. and the wind and yes. all of oh. it. And then of course, even being out there race day. So we'll, we'll save some of that, you know, <laughs> for the back end for sure. But uh, yeah, that's a super, super cool story. And I can't believe your coach coached uh, two of your other siblings. I mean, that's, uh, he must feel like he's a fully part of the family now. Does he yeah. get a Thanksgiving invite or? Yeah, seriously, he should, you know, he was, 
he's such a good guy. And um, he was such a good coach. And actually him leaving was part of the reason why I feel like I spiraled uh, downhill so much that, I mean, nothing bad happened. There are much worse, but my running just tanked um, so much because he really made me believe in myself. Um, and then h- him leaving was just a big blow. Um, but I said, oh, I got to get my siblings in with this coach, you know? And so, uh, yeah, they, yeah. So they ran for him and really liked it. That is, that's absolutely great. Um, so that was a little bit of a struggle and it it happens, um, for anybody who's ever had a coach that they really like. And most importantly, I don't care what sport, I don't care if it's field hockey, I don't care if it's soccer, softball, baseball, I was division one baseball, whatever the sport is, when you have that connection with a coach and they believe in you, just like you said, you'll do anything for them. They'll do anything for you. So you're going to go out of your way. Oh, go play for this coach or, you know, go run with this coach or get the opportunity, go take advantage of it, go do a visit. Um, so that is also part of your situation, but, you know, so coming out of like Ohio state, like kind of tell the story a little bit of how you get your running situation, how it kind of comes back to life. Cause that's, uh, that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. I think it went, um, like deeper down in the bad direction first. Uh, I moved right after college, I moved to Seattle, um, and, uh, was with my husband there Well, we got married while we were there, um, and I started coaching high school runners. Um, and I also started coaching for team and training. So it wasn't like I was removed from running. I was just removed from competitive, um, you know, competitions myself. Uh, but I still really loved running, but I got, well, I wasn't getting injuries anymore. I got extremely anemic. Uh, my ferritin was a six. I mean, it was like blood transfusion, um, level, but I didn't know this for a long time. So I just remember just trying to run with my high school team and cry, like actually crying after practice. I, you know, like, I can't breathe. How am I in such bad shape? So this is like furthering the story of like, you'll never be good again. Not knowing I was like incredibly depleted. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. I, but during that time I did run, um, one time a year, I would run a 5k, the toys for tots race in Seattle. Um, and I would just try to break 20 minutes, you know, which is funny. Cause now I, I'm upset if I'm not in the 17s or 16s, you know, but, um, but, you know, the, I was kind of happy with that. And then I started coaching the marathoners through team and training. And that was really nice. It was like such a great mission with the leukemia lymphoma society. Um, and I would coach some of those people, you know, you said a nine hour marathon or like a co a couch to marathon and 16 week program, you know, and those, I mean, someone who runs a marathon or completes a marathon in eight to nine hours is way tougher than I'll ever be. I mean, talk about the hardest days of my life, being out on the course on my legs and figuring out your nutrition, um, what to wear. I mean, how much to drink and just how to endure for so many hours. Um, it was amazing. You know, it's something that just gives you chills when, um, these athletes cross the finish line. Uh, but yeah, I'm still thinking my running days are over and, uh, I don't know, fast forward quite a bit. <laughs> well, just, just pause, yeah, for, yeah, go pause, ahead. Yeah, pause sure. for one sec. Cause I want to go back on a couple of those things and then yeah. we'll, then we'll, then we will fast forward. Um, so your iron levels, your ferritin, these are, these are huge things, particularly for female runners, you know, because of all, you know, child rearing and all the other things. There are just so much more common issue 
for women runners to to face that challenge than men. We have our own set of issues that we have to manage on our end too. But, you know, biomarkers and things that you have to be concerned about. Hopefully you're getting regular blood work now and, you know, with supplementing and, you know, nutrition, you've got that all like in check. If not, I always do my plug for Inside Tracker since I work closely with them and I get 25% off for tests for anybody who follows me on Instagram or on the podcast or on my Facebook page. So it's just, um, it's just such a valuable suite of services they provide. They're registered dietitians on staff, wellness people on staff, athletes on staff, ultra marathoners, Ironman triathletes, marathoners that are running in the trials at your level and higher. I mean, they're just so together as a company and they're looking at all the really important stuff. And, you know, when you go to your GP and your doctor is, you know, looking at your basic stuff and ordering a basic panel, they're going to miss a huge amount of stuff. And they're not going to understand how a runner and a runner's body is different than an average person who's not a runner. And, you know, that's not what their practice is, unless you're going to a marathon sports doctor, which you might be. And if you right, are, that's right. great. Yes. Um, but where Inside Tracker wins is they're not only going to tell you where your level should be or what's high or what's low or what's dangerous. They're, they're going to tell you nutritionally, you know, supplementation that can get you there. But they're also going to tell you food groups to eat, which I love. Because most of the time it's just like, okay, take calcium C and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, all these different vitamins become more bioavailable and they get processed quicker and you become more efficient, you know, with them if you're doing them, uh, you're taking them in a certain way. So that's one of the reasons why I like Inside Tracker so much. So, you know, for you, I'll make sure I send you my own link in case you ever want to get a blood panel done because it's really very helpful because even if you've gotten that piece of it under control, you might have some other things that you don't even realize, you know, zinc, potassium, magnesium. There are just other B12. I mean, there's so many D, there's so many common things that you have to worry about. And so many runners out there that are suffering with repeated stress fractures and things, if they would have a deep dive panel like this, I guarantee you, if you're listening to me and you've had repeated stress fractures or issues, more than likely the key is going to be unwrapped by one deep dive on the nutrition level like that. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's so important. Um, and like being a high school coach, you know, kids are so smart these days. I mean, kids have always been smart, but you know, you think, oh, these kids got to know this stuff. The information is out there, but people don't. And it's, you have to say things that sound so obvious because people don't, I mean, I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but really there was so much to learn, you know, and, and we still learn things every day. You know, it's very important to, um, have every marker checked and just know that your health is there because that's how you perform your best. hundred percent. And again, um, you know, also kudos to you doing the community service, the coaching and the give backs. I mean, that's a huge part of my show. It's a big, big part of my show. And I just, the, the more conversations we're having around that, whether it's five or 10 minutes in each episode, or if it's 15 or longer about things that people are doing in the community, whether it's coaching or, you know, uh, team and training, whatever it might be, you know, we're all going to come out of it for the better because it's going to make everyone else out there listening to this episode think, well, I could do something like that. I could actually help with that. Maybe I won't coach, but maybe I'll just go to their group runs and I'll just encourage the runners. And you said something that I, you know, try to echo over and over again all the time. Those people that are out there the longest, they have my ultimate respect. And I, and I say it every time I, do it in post regularly. I put it up in stories all the time. I don't ever want to hear anybody ever say someone is no runner because they've run eight hours and 
That's total BS, man. I will take anybody on in the comments, man. I'll go to war with people because they are so much tougher to be able to stay out there that long. And whether they're walking, running, I don't care. You cross that finish line, you've earned my respect and you've earned everyone's respect. So good job on that um, in terms of helping out and giving back in the community. So now we get to go fast forward. And uh, so you're in Seattle, you're married, you're, you figure out your ferret and your blood levels, you know, I mean, while you're making fun of yourself for breaking 20 in a 5k, like that yeah. sucks, which is, you know, no. you know, 620 something for my, oh, I know yeah. it's like no, terrible. It's, it's like amazing. awful. No, I mean, it's amazing, but it's just funny how, you know, I thought that that was just m like my ultimate at that time, you know? Know, I was just so far away from thinking that I would be where I am today. Yeah. You know? um, but let's but tell, you, but let's tell that story because that is so for everybody listening, we all have a baseline and it doesn't matter what that baseline is. I don't care if it's 40 minutes for a 5k, 20 minutes, somebody else, you know, Kipchoge dropped a 1435 at 35k uh, in the marathon. I okay. Know. I know some crazy fast people that I train with in New York city and that's maybe around their PR. They're crazy fast and they're running in the men's Olympic trials. Okay. That's bananas. And he's throwing that in at 35k saying bye-bye everybody. It's been nice playing around. I'll see you all later. So, um, wherever that baseline is, you know, for you, it was a great time. People would kill to run that, but of course that's not something you're going to kill to run, but you're thinking, Hey man, I broke 20, but like, so what? But all of a sudden you're back in the game and, you know, to be there, to where you've actually come to now is pretty amazing. So we have a lot of, you got a lot of details to fill in there because <laughs> you didn't just go from 20 minute 5k to running Atlanta and doing all this great stuff. So let's, let's get some detail around it and some time. Like when did, when did you start? When was it? And how, how were you training? You know, who was working with you on the coaching side, all the good stuff. Okay. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I was getting ready to leave Seattle. I was pregnant, getting ready to leave Seattle. And I had gone from, I was coaching high school. I was getting up in the morning, working really early at a financial institution, work till 2 PM. Then I would coach my high school team. And then I would go and coach the marathoners. So I had a very busy, it was like, wake up at four in the morning, go to bed at 8 PM and, or 9 PM and be busy all day. I mean, you know, no breaks. And then I said, well, I'm pregnant when I have this you know, baby, I'd like to just stay home with her for a while, you know, what could I still do, you know, to, to like have time for myself. And I said, maybe I should just try, you know, this little seed was planted. Maybe I should try to be good. Um, and then I had the baby and I was like, Oh, never mind, <laughs> You know, I don't like, let's throw that idea away again. But I mean, I told the story a million times, but my older brother who had run in um, the marathon trials himself, said, you know, you could make the Olympic trials. You could make them. If you trained, I'll train you. And I said, no way. I mean, I can't run three miles. Like I cannot run three miles. There's no way I can run 26.2 at whatever it was at the time, 615, 617 pace. And he said, you can, you can, you just got to work at it, you know? So he gave me a training plan and I just followed it to a T and I went from, a. um, 314 marathon PR. And that, that was when I really, I was running, but I wasn't, you know, I really wasn't like training with the speed work and the proper, um, 
being your best. I was training to finish marathons, not training to be my best before, but I went from a 314 to a 251 um, after my daughter was born. What? So what year is the 314? So that was in 2009 at Boston. And then in 2010 at Columbus, um, Ohio, when my daughter was 10 months old, I ran 251. And I said, Oh, wow. You know, if I could do that two, I think it was 246 or 247 was the trials qualifier at the time. I think I can maybe make the trials, you know, um, I'm going to keep training, but then I did something stupid. I didn't take any time off. You know, I was not smart. I maybe took a few days off and I said, I got to get this right. And so I just started training right away. And then yeah, I don't know how deep we want to go into it, but I was stuck in the 250s for um, years. No, we we will go into it. But the other thing we want to do is we want to go back again, because I think the big, big piece of all of our running to be successful in life at anything, it doesn't matter whether it's being a, a great mother, a great father, a teacher, educator, coach, um, belief and self-belief are so closely wrapped together. Um, many times the husband believes in the wife more than the wife believes in their own ability or vice versa. It's the other way around, or it's a sibling or, or it's a strong coach relationship or mentor relationship. But when you have that older brother who, by the way, ran in the Olympic trials also, um, and tells you that you can do this. And meanwhile, you're only running three miles that are yeah. in that pace range. <laughs> and they like, feel horrible. Yes. They weren't anywhere near that pace range. They were way slower than that pace range. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because there will be people out there who think, oh yeah, she was no problem. She was going to be able to call it. No, no. <laughs> no She's running three miles at that pace thinking like he's out of his mind. There's no way at some point. But then you actually start to believe. And then like, this is your brother, he's done it. You start to believe it. And then, you know, you run your time in Boston and then you, but you break that from, where was it? 314, mm -hmm. 314 Boston, 251 in Columbus. So you're looking at 23 minutes like shaved off and Columbus is a flat course, but so what? I mean, that's a huge amount of time and you're right. You're hundred percent. It was 247, I believe is what the standard was then. So you were now within four minutes and anybody, even whether your brother's telling you or not, anybody out there, even though four minutes is a lot, has got to believe like, okay, this is real. Like I could, could do this. So yeah, that is, that's super cool. So that's how the, the idea starts, you know, the seed is planted, you know, you, you start to have some self-belief on it and you start to make progress, but then, you know, take us through. Cause you know, it, people only hear the, the good parts, right? Yeah, That's nonsense, right. man. You got to share yeah. it all because the truth is that doesn't inspire anywhere near as many people to just keep going down. Okay. 251. Okay. Then this and Atlanta. No, 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 no. Where do you get stuck and how did you get unstuck and how did you work your way through it? Whether there's injuries involved, whether you changed your plan or whatever, that, that to me is going to really stick with people more. And maybe they're stuck in your spot where you got stuck at 251. And maybe they even went backwards. Um, and now they can't figure out how to get out of it. So by hearing you talk about what that was like, that might unlock a big thing for somebody else out there and help them get to the next trials with you. Yeah, yes. Um, so yeah, my next race was Cleveland, Ohio. I liked doing Ohio races at the time because my in-laws and my parents are in Ohio. They could watch the kid, you know? So, um, 
yeah, I, I was in great shape, but I don't feel like I took enough time off. You know, I didn't give my body that reset that it needed. And so I ran slower. I ran 253. Um, and I mean, this long story short, we can talk about the in-between, but I did that for eight years. You know, I would, I would be in amazing shape. You know, I would say there's no way it won't happen this time. And then it just wouldn't, you know, something would go wrong. I wouldn't be fueling correctly. Um, I, I don't know, I'd have a bad day and like literally stop on the side of the course and cry to a spectator, you know, and say, I'm not going to finish. And then I do finish, but then I'm over three hours, you know, um, you know, letting, I don't know, my mind, my mind not be as strong as it needed to be. Or like, if something went wrong, I would spiral, you know, out of control, you know, like, Oh, everything's horrible. I'm off pace. So there's no way to redeem it. You know, kind of my, um, I, well, there's a story from when I was little, actually, <laughs> this is probably like deeply rooted this, maybe this will be my therapy session. But when I was little, um, there, my mom's work, my mom worked for general motors. Both of my parents worked in a factory and, uh, we had these like running races and every, I would always have to run it at this company picnic. And I was always like super slow. All my siblings like win and I would get in my race and I would just like, not, I mean, I was very slow. I just didn't care. I was slow, but I thought I was a slow runner. And I mean, that has always like been a thing. And I really finally, finally believe that I'm not a slow runner, but it like took so much time. It takes so much work on my part. It's taken so much work for other people to say like, you are, you are fast, you are worth it. You know? Um, so I feel like whenever things were going in those eight years when I was trying, whenever things went wrong, this little seed from when I was four years old, five years old, six years old, you're not fast, just kept coming back. And I kept thinking like, yeah, I'm not, I'm the slow one in the family. Of course, my older brother can qualify for the trials, but I can't, of course, my younger brother can be the youngest person to qualify right out of college in the 2012 trials. Not me, you know, like, of course my sister can run all these records, but you know, not me, I'm the slow one, you know? Um, so, I mean, that I guess is a major theme. I had to get over that. Um, and then there were like just things going on with restructuring of my sponsorship where I was like feeling a lot of pressure, you know, maybe that I put on myself um, to try, to, you know, to like get these things that I had had before. And I feel like that brought back the pressure or any pressure that I ever had with running, you know, where I think my success in running comes from me liking it and me doing it for me. And when I'm doing it for the wrong reason, and I think if anyone's doing it for the wrong reason, they won't reach their full potential. Um, and so, yeah, I think that those things were really holding me back. And in 2017, I believe I got a stomach bug that just would not, uh, it just caused all these GI distress or all this GI distress at the time. And it just didn't get better. I just did not get better. My whole friend group got it and everyone got better. But the week I got it, I went and ran California international marathon. I said, Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Spent the whole marathon, um, in the porta potties, like, uh, you know, just stopping everyone. And yeah, I just didn't get better for like over a year. And I feel like that was like one of my rock bottom moments. Um, so I wasn't getting injured all this time. I was having more like mental injuries, like mental problems. And then I got the stomach bug that we couldn't figure out. I was seeing like 
so many specialists I was seeing, you know, Eastern medicine, Western medicine, like anything, anything anyone said to do, I did. And I just was not getting better. And that was really hard because that was the time where I said, I think I might really have to give up. You know, I was back to my 20 year old self. Like I won't be fast. I can't run three miles without having to go to the bathroom. Like, I mean, I can't race like that. I would get to the point where I'm like, I can run a race, but I can't eat before. And then I can't run well if I can't eat before, you know? So, um, it was really, it was really bad, but I don't know because I have been working on myself so long, you know, I just kept saying, you know, you'll like, just, just like, keep the faith, just keep trying, just keep working at it. You know, you want to give up, but like, just keep at it, keep at it. And, um, eventually I got better. And then that next year is when I qualified at, um, the Eugene, well, actually 2018 brought my first injury post-college. Um, but after that, I took some good time off and I qualified in 2019. So, wow. That's, um, that is, that's a tough, tough situation. Um, because, you know, you have a health thing going on. That's real hundred percent tangible, which has nothing to do with the mental side of it. Um, nothing to do with the fueling side of marathoning, which is enormous. I mean, uh, entire episodes can be done and have been done and will be done on if you can't get your fueling right in a marathon, you literally have no chance of ever hitting optimal performance. You just can't do it. It's not possible. Um, so there's like all of these different elements. Um, but you know, you have this huge health element and you know, no, no one can run, man. If you don't even know if you can make it, and the only thing in your head is where could I go to the bathroom if I have to go? You're you can't run. Okay. There's no way you could you can't even be running at maybe 80% of what would be a normal pace because that feeling is gonna overcome you like, oh my God, I'm gonna going to go to the bathroom or or something worse, maybe throw up or get sick. So how did it ultimately resolve itself that your health challenge? I I really wish I knew. I it's so the three like most recent things that I did, um, leading up to it, getting better where I went through a second round of antibiotics, but this was like 14 months after the onset. And after I'd already been through antibiotics, I had gotten on a new probiotic and had been on, I had tried many probiotics, but you know, you have to take them for three to four months to get the effects. I had been on this new one for three months. Um, and I don't know. The other thing I thought is it could have just been time it just ran its course, or maybe I slowed down my training and my body finally wasn't under this stressed state because I kept stressing my body so much and stressing my mind. You know, there was so much stress involved with this bathroom thing, um, that I don't know if that was kind of not allowing me to heal. I'm not sure. I really don't know, but it just one day, well, I mean, it wasn't just a one day thing, but it just started getting better. And then in January of 2000, uh, what was it? 18, I ran a marathon. We went to Japan. My husband had work in Japan and we, I went along with him and I ran the Osaka women's marathon and I was okay. And I just said, Oh, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe I made it through a marathon. Um, it was just such a wonderful, happy day. Wow. 
That's super cool. Uh, running a marathon in Japan is cool. I've run, yeah, I've yeah, run, yeah. I've run Tokyo, and I've been to Japan oh, twice. And um, nice. Yeah, the reason I was in Atlanta, you know, just a quick segue, and I'll get us out of there because we we're gonna stay on your running. But <laughs> I was uh, getting on the plane the next day to go back to run Tokyo again, oh, and wow. um, it canceled, obviously. And everybody was like all upset and nobody really had any idea. This is way before anybody had any idea because the last real race in the world that happened was Atlanta. There was no real racing after Atlanta, not real, like a couple here and there, but nothing large scale, big events. Um, so when that canceled, I was just like, I'm going to go to Atlanta and watch the trials. My friends are like, what? You don't even have a reservation. I go, oh, I'll, I'll get a hotel it room. It's Atlanta. <laughs> They're like, wait, you booked your flight and you don't have a hotel? I'll go, that's right. I'll literally book a flight while I'm like on the plane. Like, it's no big deal. Or I'll, I'll crash in somebody's room one night and then I'll get a room. Like, or I'll get an Airbnb. And best decision I ever made. I mean, oh, literally the best decision because- I got to be part of that. And we're we'll, we're still going to push Atlanta off a little bit for now. Um, because also you brought up pressure of sponsors and other things like that. And I just think it's just, it's great when people are just willing to share and really get into the nitty gritty of it, man. Because look, runners, man, this these are therapy sessions, man. They're podcast chats, but they're therapy sessions. Like when we put too much pressure on ourselves, for anything in life, we're never gonna we're never gonna truly be our best or hit optimal conditions. Um, so somehow we have to figure that out, okay? And in your case, you have a health ailment, and you're putting pressure back on yourself. Again, sometimes in the college or scholarship times of life, it's us more than our coaches. Sometimes it is a coach who's just like overbearing, not a good fit putting, you know, telling runners to run 140 miles a week and everybody's got stress fractures or, you know, telling gymnasts to lose weight because they don't have the right body type or swimmers. I mean, you can name a sport. It doesn't have to be running. It can be any number of things. So you've got that that you're managing. So what do you think helped you, you know, kind of get that piece in line, you know, from where you were then to like where you are now? Because that's a big piece. I mean, the mental piece of what you're doing is hugely important because it is it is a lot of stress. If you feel like, hey man, I want to inspire other moms. I want to show them I'm going to go run in the Olympic trials or from my Pittsburgh community or wherever it is, people who follow you on Instagram, like it's a big deal. Like if you're going to put it out there, I want to do this, then you actually have to do it like in your mind because you've now committed to it. Like there's people who do better with that and there's people who they go the other way and they're like, oh no. So I tell people all the time, you got to figure out which kind of person you are. Me, I put stuff out there, man, because I just love it. I'm like, I'm bringing everybody along for the ride with me. Everybody's paying attention to what I'm doing. Everybody knows how many miles I'm running. What am I doing this for? World age group championships. Like I'm good with that. I know people who are not good with that. If I wasn't good with it, I'd just be like, quiet, show up, do the race. And then be like, here's my race report. So tell me how you got better with that piece of your own running and in life, because it's way outside of running. It's way bigger than running. Yeah, I think. Uh, and I mean, if anyone takes away anything from this, it's just like you always have to go back to yourself. Why are you doing this? And if it is for anything or anyone else, then you need to reprioritize. Every time I have not run well, it's because I'm doing it for someone else. And it doesn't matter you know, I can tell people what race I'm running or I cannot tell people. It doesn't matter. It's when I let other people's desires for what I am doing, um, dictate my life and what I do. That is when I don't run well, 
you know, because it's not coming from me, it's coming from someone else. And how can your heart be in something, you know, that it's not into, you know, or maybe you can convince yourself, but I've never been able to do that, you know, and I check myself all the time. Why am I doing this? You know, am I okay with this? Also, my daughter is 11 years old now, you know, in a couple years when she's doing this, what would I think if she was in the same situation and telling me this, oh my goodness, I would never want her to feel that way or make that decision based on that. It's, you know, being a parent has helped me say, um, oh yeah, you have to be true to yourself. That's what you would want for the people you love the most. That's what you'd want for your friends and your family. You have to want that for yourself too. So well said. Um, just absolutely so well said. I mean, understanding your why, um, it's not just about running. I mean, it's like, I try to explain to people all the time that I touch in my life. Cause I've been around a lot longer than you. So I have more <laughs> experiences, not necessarily better, just more and more is never better. It's just more. And, um, the more things you're involved in, the more experience you have for me, I, I think about legacy a lot. And I think about trying to share, um, things all the time. And my mom's going to be 89 and, you know, share her experiences and the wonderful things she's brought to our family and with other friends of mine, um, like lessons learned, if you will. So that's awesome because however you choose to think about your running, it always has to be for you. Uh, and you just said that so eloquently because I've tried to tell people for years, like if it's just about earning a BQ or just about getting to Olympic trials, qualifier, OTQ on your running resumes, that's not going to hold up. It'll never hold up. It'll fall apart. It'll vanish. It'll just disappear like a mirage right in front of you because that's not real. Okay. There's got to be something deeper in place and only, it doesn't have to be something you say out loud or have that stay in the fight sign behind me on the wall over there that a running friend of mine made for me because it's my running mantra. And it's also my mantra for life. Like stay in the fight, man. When you get punched in the mouth and you get knocked down and you get bloodied on the playground, you don't, you don't just run home and cry. Hey mom, hey dad, like help me out or my bike got stolen or whatever. Or if you crash your bike, when you're a kid, do you say, hey, mom, I'm never going to ride my bike again because I crashed? Um, I don't think that's the way it went down. I'm pretty sure you're just like, okay, you're going back over the handlebars two days later. And, you know, then you're in the emergency room with a, like a cast on your wrist and you think it's cool like a week or two later. And then when the cast is off, maybe not so much when your <laughs> wrist hurts. But I mean, kids are resilient, man. You're a mom, you know this, but grownups, we got to be more resilient, man. We got to be resilient and you understand that those other things are have were having a negative effect on your running, not a positive effect, a negative effect. So you got to block that out. However, you do that. It doesn't mean you can't communicate your big goals with the people who are following your running jersey or journey and are people that are interested in what you're doing. That's that's nothing to do with it. But why you're doing it and why it matters to you, that that may change a lot over. The, the time frame you're in. I mean, you know, you have an 11 year old who's old enough to see you running and doing a lot of these things and really understand it very differently than your six month old. But at some point, they're all going to. Right. And then, right. and they're all going to have a very different opinion of running and whether they even have any interest in it or care or not. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that'll be fun, right? Mm -hmm. That'll right. be fun to see. So when you work the mental piece out, you figure that stuff out, you're managing your stress better, expectations better and all that. 
what changes are going on from like the side you're working with your brother okay so he's coaching you what what did, were you doing anything fundamentally different in your actual running and training no right no, I went from like one brother coach to another brother coach. Hand off. Yeah. Um, and that was back in, I'd say 2015, maybe 2014. Um, but I mean, they train the same way. Um, so it wasn't, there was, you know, no change. It was just one brother believing in me to another brother. I mean, they always all believe in me, but you know, it was just like changing of the guards or whatever. Um, yeah. And my training has been very similar for those years. It was just getting all the pieces together and really, yeah, I really feel like it was getting the mind together and, um, just wanting to explore my best and where can I go? Um, because that's, that's my why is like finding out how good I can be. And I don't feel like I've even come close in any distance to getting to that yet. Um, so yeah, always like staying grounded in that. Love it. So the same principles are in play. Um, and they both believe in you. They better because your brother's <laughs> mad. Cause it's going to be a beat down, man. The oh, girls can beat the brothers up anytime oh, and yeah. get away with it. So I didn't <laughs> totally. have any sisters, but if I did, man, and she's going to be able to like sock me, I would have been like, walk away. It's like, you know, never say a word back. Cause that's just the way it had to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just the coolest thing. And, um, for everybody listening at home, I don't know if there's another family in the United States where three from the same family have qualified for the Olympic trials. I mean, I, I'm pretty good on knowing my running statistics stuff and really knowing a lot going back to the old days. Cause I am 60. I've never come across a family where three uh, siblings from the same family have run in the Olympic trial. So that's, that's pretty amazing, but not in the same one. So I'm really working <laughs> on my brothers to my, uh, my older brother did 2000. Well, it was 2008 trials, but it was 2007 in New York city. Um, he was 21st there. And then both of my brothers were in 2012. No one was in 2016. And then I was in 2020. Um, so I'm like, come on, my older brother is a year older than me. So he's 41. I'm 40. And then my younger brother is six years younger. And I'm like, come on, let's all do it one more time. But again, I can't want it for them, right? They need to want it for themselves. I, I, as as much as I don't, you know, I work on that with myself, I have to remember, I can't want things for other people. Cause I'm always trying to say like, you know, to women, you've run 248 in the marathon, the last cycle, how can you not try for the 245? And they're like, I'm done. I'm just done. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, but like how, but then I remember, Oh, same with me. It is not what they want. And so they won't, they won't do it. Maybe they could, but they don't want to. And so it's not for them. And that's okay. You know, it's okay. Spend your time doing something you actually want to do. Yeah. I mean, again, you can't, you can't state that any better because it's got to be deeply personal to you, to yes. that person. Yeah. And although that's three minutes away, maybe their big burning goal is to run, you know, a, a 120 half marathon or a 118 or something like that. Or maybe they want to run a 34 minute 10 K or a really fast 5 K. I mean, who knows, who knows what it is? Maybe they want to run cross country or, or indoor track and field. I mean, you just never know 
what somebody really wants deeply and desperately on the inside, but they need to want it. Um, your brothers aren't going to just show up and do it because you want them to, just as you said, because they've got their own lives to manage. There are different ages than you, younger and older. They've got families and other things to negotiate. So they'd have to want it as badly as you did. Right. And right. be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in on this. I'm <laughs> yeah, in on right. this, man, because it would be super cool, man. Of course, it if would it, be cool. if, I know I really want it, but I'm just letting them yeah. do their thing. <laughs> well, if it happens, all three of you are coming on. It'll be like the Brady okay. Bunch. I'm going to have that all the cool. screens. It'll be like <laughs> yeah. the Zoom screens. I'll be like, okay, you get the square. I know. <laughs> okay, Jen, you're up over here. I'll be just like pointing, yeah. you know, like an old switchboard operator. Oh, it would be, it would be so much fun. Um, so basically fundamentally you didn't change anything at all. Okay. You're using the same principle as your training. Um, you, you prove that you can run without any nutritional issues over in Osaka. Yes. When do you actually come and make it happen? Was it, was it at CIM where you, where you ran your qualifier? Um, it was Eugene marathon in April of 2019. Nice. Okay. And you got to finish on the track at Track Town. It was awesome. Yeah. It was great. How cool is that? It was very cool. I just loved being there. I loved how everyone was so into the race and it or into the runners. And it wasn't that, it actually wasn't that crowded. And you didn't feel like there were tons of spectators, but you felt you just felt like it was the right amount. Like there are people every once in a while but you don't have someone staring at you, you know, like it'd be on the track or it'd be at a Boston marathon or New York city. Um, it just felt perfect. You had time to be in your own head. You had time to get out of your own head. Um, it was just wonderful. It was just a great day. What a, what a super cool experience. Um, I mean to, to run in the track and track town and now they have the new, the new one, which is just unbelievable. Um, amazing watching, you know, the trials on TV, but I love that you have that uh, perspective that you're sharing because I've run New York this year's the 50th. So this will be my 10th New York. And I actually ran in the hundredth Boston marathon. So, so did my dad, that was my dad's last Boston. So I was there. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? That's no. 1996. I mean, it's yeah. on my son's piano. Yeah. Look at oh, this. Wow. Right, oh, wow. Yeah, right there here. it is. That's so cool. 241 yep. in the hundredth Boston. Oh, but wow. here, here's the cool thing. So you, you talk about um, the family and how deep running is in the family. You know, I'm going to run in the 125th. I mean, think about that. Now, sure, you could have been 20 in the 100th. Okay, I was 35 or 36, but and I'm 60 now. So you could have been younger, 20 or 30. But I guarantee you there's probably not going to be very many people that ran in the 100th and are going to run in the 125th. Right. So yeah, it's um, that's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's super exciting. And um, I don't know, man, like you, you said it so well about, you know, your why and what are you doing it for? Like the thing is people think, you know, if you're not running fast enough anymore, or you can't run as fast as you used to or other things. I mean, when you first started the running journey again, breaking 20 minutes is where you were. And you were like, Oh, I'll never run fast again. Or I could never run fast again. And you gone like bananas in terms of how much time you cut, how much faster per mile you're running at marathon distance compared to what you were doing, like in a 5k. And it's, you know, in the middle of having four kids. So there's so, there's so much in there. Um, 
and longevity is, is such a big piece. And I think it's cool that your family is like all in the mix. So your dad, <laughs> and you also you also had a grandfather who ran in Boston, right? Because I remember something about that, or I think I remember no, something, the, no? That, just my dad. Just yeah, your my, dad, okay. So yeah, yeah, my dad was the first runner in our family as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. Love it, yeah. love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And he ran in the hundreds, so we're we're kindred yes, spirits, yes, man. That's, yes, for that's, sure. <laughs> that's totally beautiful. So Eugene... And, you know, for everybody out there, you know, that we all want to run in the big races. I mean, Boston is always going to kind of be the Mecca for us in the U.S. anyway, just with it being 125 year history. New York City, you know, is a huge race and it's only on 50. So think about that. I think London is on 40 or 41. Chicago similarly is like 40 something, not 50 yet. So these races have history, but I mean, there's Boston history, which is like dwarfs kind of everything else. But there's something to be said for running these other races. And I think people just lose sight because there's the Abbott majors and I have done all six of them where you get the six star and all, and it's cool. Wow. That's but, great. You know, to not run a race like a Eugene or something, which has, you know, finishing on the track, which is incredible, but it, you know, there's so much running history there. I mean, you can go visit the pre-rock and do all of that stuff and be like in runner's heaven, if you will. It's like field of dreams for baseball, for crying out loud. But so many of us, they only want to run the big races. So just like you said before, you know, find, find what race you want to run. Don't run the race everybody else is running. All my friends are running Chicago. No, you know, what is that the one you want to run? Maybe you want to run one in Wisconsin because that's where you grew up. Like maybe that'll connect with you more. Maybe you'll feel like this is better for me. Or maybe you want to run a trail marathon or something like that. I mean, there's just, there's so much, you know, that you want to want to look at exploring. So, um, so let's talk, you know, you get your qualifier at Eugene. Okay. And that's April of 19, of 2019. Uh, of 2019. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you don't, you don't really have that much time because it's February of 20. So you have a decent amount of time. You know, you have May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January. You have like nine, you have nine months more or less of training and then, you know, whatever, a month of just kind of getting yourself regulated. So making that happen, it comes to fruition. Was your family as excited as you? Like who was the most excited by it all? Oh, I'm not sure. I mean, it's funny to say, but I wasn't like, yes, amazing. Like I accomplished my <laughs> lifelong dream. I was just, I really finished the finish. I crossed the finish line and just said like, of course, this is what, I mean, this is what I really have been trying to do for eight years. And I always like, even when I didn't believe, I believe that it could happen. It's like a, this weird thing. Like it can't happen, but it, it will. And it can um, so it, it was like, it wasn't anticlimactic, but it kind of was, I mean, it was just kind of like, yes, of course, of course, I just did what I thought I could do for the past eight years. I ran the time that I felt I've been in shape for, for a long time. Um, but it was fun after I finished, my family had a group text, uh, and just reading back through, you know, like, is she slowing down? Wait, is she speeding up? Wait, is she going to do it? Where is she? Have you seen her? Cause my older brother was there and my husband was there. And then my family, my family who, you know, the people who weren't there, they were all just like texting, like, tell me, have you seen her? Does she look good? Um, and then one of my coaches from, um, Seattle, I didn't know he was going to be there. Um, 
but from the club that I ran with, he was there on the course cheering. So, I mean, I just feel like everyone had so much love um, and excitement for me. And it was just, I don't know. It was just so special, but no one was like, I mean, everyone was just very excited and it was fun to like, look back at all of that. But um, yeah, I don't know who was the most excited or anything. We were all just like, whew, finally, like, thank you. Okay, Jen, we can stop, you know, we can stop uh, waiting for this moment. That's, that's so cool. Um, and, and the, being able to experience it with a bigger group is always awesome. Whether they're all there in person or not, doesn't matter, but coming from, you know, being stuck and having issues with the mental side of it and even nutritionally, the health side of it, all this other stuff, like at what point in the race out there in Eugene, and yes, it's not a huge race. It's not Boston with a zillion people. You have spots where you're just running and you're kind of on your own. You're going through some neighborhoods and some of it's even kind of on trail, right? Or a little bit like trail, right? I yeah, think a I'm, bike trail. Bike yeah, trail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yep. So if I'm remembering, I haven't run it. I just know from friends who have. Like at what point out there in that race did you feel like, all right, man, this is going to go down. Like, I think I got this or, or did you not even think about that where you just said, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not thinking about anything. Like, what, what, what was that like? Yeah. I'd say at mile 11, I was like, I'm going to crush this. Like, um, it was just, things were just coming together. I had such a good mindset. I had just been working on my mindset every day, um, since like November of the year before, um, thinking about the race, how I wanted it to go. And I just felt so great. I was 11 miles in and I just said, I'm going to PR in the half marathon on this second, um, half, which I did not, but you know, I mean, I just felt good. And there were a few times, um, at mile 20, I said like, Oh, I'm at mile 20 and I'm way ahead of like where I need to be for the trial standard. Um, but then I said, Oh, but I still have you know, 6.2 miles to go. And then I, I felt the wind like come out of me for a second. And then I said, no, no, no. You know, I've already done 20 miles. I was just like, anytime a little negative thought came in, I just reframed it. You know, I'm at mile 20. This is where I wanted to get to, and I'm still going strong and I still feel good. And then I just felt like myself again. Um, and then I had another moment where I was thinking of all the people who were thinking about me, thinking positive thoughts about me. And I thought, oh, I'm carrying them along on my back, you know? And then I started feeling heavy and I said, oh, I'm not carrying them around. I'm not carrying them. They're pulling me, you know? And it's just amazing what your mind can do. I mean, how silly is it that, you know, me thinking they're there <laughs> on my back versus they're pulling me, um, how much it can change the way I'm feeling. But I really felt great until the last uh, two miles when it got pretty hard. And I, you know, I was just like, we're just going to go just keep taking another step, another step and um, just finished it out. That's fantastic. The, mi the mindset is so powerful. It's such a, a hugely important piece. You know, we have the mileage we have to do, the workouts we have to do, you know, getting the taper right, nutrition, what are you going to eat a couple of days before, getting some rest, all these other things. But out there at the end, um, you know, whether it's you want to call it a mantra or mantras that you actually use, but it's mindset. And, you know, Dina Castor's book 
is just so fabulous because she talks about all the time where if you say, I won't quit, well, your brain hears quit. That's what your brain hears. It doesn't Mm -hmm. hear, you know, people say all the time, I won't quit or I won't stop. Well, your brain hears stop. So you have to frame things in a positive way with the words for your brain to process it. So you took the imagery of you're carrying these people because yes, it's like the same thing. I'm carrying these people. No, that's actually negative. You don't think of it. You're trying to think of it as a positive thought, but it's actually not because yes, they're weighing on you and you turned it around and said, Mm -hmm. they're pushing you or they're pulling you. And that is, that's just fabulous. And like, you don't realize that if you didn't do that, and I'm not saying you wouldn't have qualified. I have no idea. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a sports psychologist, but I do know these things are real. They're absolutely real because if we can find a way in that dark spot, you know, when the wind blows back into our face and we have 5k to go to reframe that conversation, because that conversation's always going on, man. I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care what time you're trying to run. Those thoughts are in there somewhere. I don't care where you try to put them. They're in there. So if you can somehow spin it around, which is what you did. You made those people your allies. They're helping you. They're supporting you. They're on your back, pulling you down, dragging you into the quicksand. Like, hang on. We don't want Jen to qualify for the trials. Get back here, girl. So that's so cool. That is so cool. Um, And then that got you to two miles to go. There's always going to be some point it's going to get you to. I don't care. It's not all roses and happiness. Life is not real. Okay. At some point like that. And for me, this, I'll share my little thing that I have always done. That's always been a big help for me. And, you know, I don't have a Dina Castor book. I'm not Dina Castor. I don't have an Olympic medal. And I didn't run in the trials, but... For every athlete out there, and you've coached, you know, your brother's coach, for every athlete out there, there's no runner worth of salt that doesn't go to the track and run a two-mile warm-up, a two-mile cool-down. Why do I say two miles up and two miles down? Every runner is worth his salt who's ever laced up their shoes, right, two up, two down, whatever. Like, so I tell myself, hey, it's my cool-down. The race is over. Like, of course, I'm not going to slow down and stop, but I tell myself, man, and Prefontaine, who was my running idol, was like, two miles to go. It's a pure guts race. And in a pure guts race, no one can win but me. Like I've read every word that guy ever wrote. I've seen every video. (laughs) I've watched every documentary. And just he just, everything about him was toughness, man. He was too small to play football. He just was going to show everybody. No one's going to take a race from me. I'm going to bury people. I'm going to make them hurt. I'm going to make them suffer. And yeah, it didn't work out in the Olympics, but he ran the ballsiest race you could ever run. And he didn't win. He didn't get the medal, but he ran the race that he needed to run to try to win because he was not going to win a kicker's race. So if he sat back, he wasn't going to win that race anyway. So my thoughts are stay in the fight is my mantra. That works for me. It may not work for one other person other than David Goggins because we share it. Um, But in my mind, when I get to that point, I'm just like, you know, a 20 mile run. Well, when I get to 18, I'm like, well, I'm at my cool down now. I'm done. So like mentally, I'm like, okay, the hard work is over. So smile, look at Kipchoge. Does anyone right. <laughs> smile more than him when he's running a sub two hour marathon uh, and he's blasting 1435 5Ks at 35K? It just doesn't seem real or possible, but he does. So you are learning a lot about yourself, you know, on the mental side and your physical training and your ability and all that, you know, that we, you've had that already but you're going to, you can develop more. This is awesome. Right. So this is. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, um, oh, I could have done this. I do think that my training's the same, but it's building on itself every year. You know, even though it's very similar years of doing consistent work, you know, that adds up 
Um, so yeah, I guess I should be clear about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's a cumulative journey and it's also cycle after cycle where progress continues to be made. I mean, you know, capillary development, aerobic pathways, becoming a, a stronger, fitter, healthier human being takes place over years and years and years of running. And it doesn't matter if you're in an up cycle or a down cycle, or if you're going to focus more on cross country for a while or work on your track speed, or really, you know, for in your case, you know, you're already done a sub 17. So, you know, I don't even know what I could throw out to you because I've run a lot of the times that you've run. So I know 3356 is my 10K, 114.42 is my half oh, PR, wow. nice. 1628, like 5K. So like you you can beat any of my times. So like big, no big <laughs> no. deal, but there might be one time out there that really matters to you again. And if it doesn't, you're not going to chase it with that vigor. You're not going to chase it with that passion. And that's what this you know show is about. That's what your life is about. That's what you're, the people out there listening, man, you got to figure out what's going to get you out of bed in the morning or what's going to keep you awake at night. Because it, either of those two things have, equal polarizing pull. And like for me, when I'm sitting up at night and I can't solve a problem, I'm like, okay, I'm going for a run. Or, you know, I'm because my brain's not going to shut off anyway. So people say to me, do you really run after midnight <laughs> that many times? I'm like, yeah, I do. But again, I'm not a woman. I don't have to worry about my safety. I don't have to worry about things that other women and moms do. And that's a real life thing. So I can go for a run after 12. It's not something I won't telling everyone to do, but in COVID <laughs> times, come on, Jen, there's no time anymore. We don't even have a clock. Don't even look at a clock anymore. No, I don't even know what day know. it is, right? I, I mean, know. Come Me on, either. man. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Uh, so we now, um, oh, by the way, what was your, what time did you run in Eugene? I still haven't asked. Uh, 241.37. Woo! 241.37. Killed it. Totally killed it. Thank you. Smashed it. Okay, so that gets you to Atlanta. Um, we didn't talk about Atlanta at all. Um, other, I've had, I think, three, maybe four um, athletes who ran down there. You know, tell just tell everybody, I know what it was like. What was it like for you? Did your whole family come to the race? Was it just your husband? Like, who was, who was there with you? you know, going down to Atlanta and being part of the race? Yeah, it was at the time, my three kids, because I only had three at the time, my husband, and then my mom and dad came. It was really nice. It was very special. My husband had shirts made. It was like um, the Pittsburgh skyline on the front and then the Tokyo skyline on the back. And it said, Gen 2020. And then it said Pittsburgh too. And then question mark. I mean, we knew I wasn't going to make the Olympics, but it's good to dream, you know? So yeah, it was very nice. And my dad, um, he can't run anymore because, uh, he has, he's had a bunch of problems, um, with his body breaking down, but he is just this calming presence in my life. And you know, he just does not get enough credit. And I don't tell him, I don't even know how to express it to him, but I feel like he feels it because, um, you know, he's a, he's, I feel like his running came from his heart. Like my running comes from mine. Um, but he was just in all the right places during that race. You know, he, I told my parents don't come. It's not going to change what I do. Like I run for myself, you know, this, um, but they were like, oh, we wouldn't miss it. And my dad was just everywhere, everywhere I needed him to be. He was, he was, he got in somehow close to the start line. And when I was doing my strides back, like away from the start line, 
my dad was just there. I mean, how did he know I was going to do strides toward that back area instead of being up, you know, ready to start the start of the race? I have no idea, but he was there and gave me a hug. And then after the race, my dad is like right up on the fence, first person to give me a hug. And I just wish I had like someone would have seen that and taken a picture because it was like one of the most special moments in my life. And you know, I just have to remember it because there's nothing, you know, no one, no one knew to take a photo of that, but it was so special to me. And he was out on the course and it was just, um, it was just amazing. I mean, I'm happier. My husband is my calming presence. My kids just, you know, they're my kids. Obviously I love them so much. My mom, um, is like pretty high energy and pretty high strung and was never a runner. So she's like an athlete and like a go, 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 but doesn't, understand running competition in the same way that someone who has been there does. So like my dad was just like the best person to be there. And I'm just like, so thankful and don't even know how to tell him, um, how wonderful it was that he was exactly where I needed him at all moments, you know? Well, you just did tell him yeah, and it's, that's right. it's yeah. permanently on this, on this <laughs> podcast and we can mark the exact time spot. So dad's going to have that forever, which is going to be the best father's day gift for the rest of his life. I just, it just touches me to hear stuff like that. Um, because yes, um, husbands, wives, brothers, you know, moms, dads, we all have these so many different roles that we fulfill. And for him to be in those spots is just so special because, you know, he's where you watched him run. He, you watched him run as a kid and, you know, emulated that. And, you know, then sure your older brothers and, you know, older brother, I'm sorry, you know, who was really good. And, you know, you kind of were following along in their path, his path as well. But really, you know, that relationship is special and, you know, getting the t-shirts made up and all of it, it's yeah. just super cool, but, <laughs> but that's what Atlanta was like. I mean, to be down there and at the race hotel and to walk through that lobby and, you know, see the, the race meetings going on and all the athletes with their name tags. And I mean, you got to be inside the ropes is the expression. I always say you were part of that. You were inside the ropes and the Atlanta track club was just like beyond amazing. Like they yes. just were just so remarkable to be able to get all those bottles on all of those tables. And, and, you know, you were all decorating them and doing things. And I've had other moms on that had their kids do it. And they did all these funky designs so that they could find them on the table. But I mean, what a logistical, you know, absolute madness, you know, trying to pull that off, you know, just from the amount of bottles on the tables and how the course ran back and forth. Um, it was just something, you know, that, I mean, I won't forget. And I just had people that I knew that were running and this is our first time ever meeting, but I knew people who were running in that race and, you know, some of them had to drop out. They were injured or they came into the race injured or whatever. My heart broke for them. I mean, I just know how hard they trained, what they put into qualifying for that race. And then to have that happen to them on that day, it's just, you feel so horrible and you can't, there's nothing you can do. It just, it's life, man. You know, you can have a, a stress fracture in your foot. You can have a knee injury. You can run, you know, 20% higher than the mileage you've ever run and just have your body break down or come into it not healthy. So for you to have your dad around and, and your husband and your kids and your mom and everybody, it's it's awesome. I mean, and, and the course was a bruiser. It oh, was yeah. a full beat down and the oh, wind yeah. was insane. It was. And it was bananas, man. That course beat the living hell out of everybody. It, it did. just did. Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> so 
massive respect, total kudos. I mean, what Thank was your you. day like? I mean, it doesn't matter. You were part of it all, but I have no idea. I'm asking you and I don't know. I mean, what was your race like? What was your day like? It was okay. I think I ran 250 some like 50 250 and some, you know, number of seconds. Um, obviously I would want to run much faster, but I had run New York city marathon actually in 2019. Um, and right after that, I got incredibly ill. I actually, I know it was too early for, um, COVID-19. Um, it was that, you know, right after I got home from New York city, but I was so sick with something I didn't, they did a, like a million lung x-rays. Um, I couldn't breathe. I've never in my life thought I was going to actually die, um, in my sleep until I had the sickness and I had like all of, you know, I couldn't taste or smell. Um, I could not walk upstairs from my house. You know, I'm in my basement. Now I have a first floor and a second floor. I couldn't walk from like my kitchen to my bedroom. Um, my lungs couldn't handle it. I mean, I was very ill for a month. I was, I had a fever for a month. I mean, I was, I've never been so sick in my life, so I didn't do anything. And I'm, um, I lost 15 pounds and I'm not a person who can lose, you know, uh, has a lot of weight to lose. So, um, it was very hard on my body when I came back to running. So this is now mid December, um, when I started running again. And it, yeah, I, it just took a while to get back. So I was very happy with that. And then in January, I actually went on a trip with my husband, um, which was nice in hindsight. Uh, we went to Spain and Portugal. We try to do something every year, just the two of us, because we have all these kids and, you know, our lives are very busy and it's just a nice time to reconnect. So, um, we had that trip, which, you know, when you're traveling, it's much easier without kids, but it's still hard to sightsee and get all the training in that you want. So given everything, I was happy um, with my performance and I did just really want to feel what the trials was like. And I thought it was a nice first trials experience. And I hope that I make it back to the next trials and that I can, um, you know, go in in a more prepared way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I love the fact that you guys are taking those trips. You need to do that. Um, even for the moms out there that have one kid, it's a great practice to get into, but you have four. I mean, it's just, uh, it's all time consuming. It never ends. It's, uh, you know, I know how much we were vying for my mom's attention with three and, you know, like there were brawls, man, we'd beat the living <laughs> hell out of each other. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. Hey, I'm over here. Like, yeah, I know I right. talk loud because of that <laughs> alone. Like, Hey, hey, man, I was small and I wasn't big. And my older brother was like twice, but I'm like, Hey man, I got to get some attention over here. Like, right, Mom, right, I'm also right. a middle child on top of it. Oh, so it's like double yeah. whammy. Um, but yeah, like people always want to get their mom's attention. This is a fact, yeah. this is life. Yes, so yes. the fact that you guys got to go out there and you plan something good. It'll keep things, uh, you know, in, in a good place, you know, on the home front and it's, and super important. And, you know, you know, a lot of people, men and women who had run incredible times to get to Atlanta, you know, there are a handful, a handful of people who actually raced at what they expected to race at that day. It just was a combination of a really tough course and the winds that just swirled and were relentless the whole day. Um, so even the toughest and the strongest and the best of the men and women that you expect, you know, it just, there were a lot of performances that just weren't where people 
we're expecting. So even if you hadn't had your illness, um, and you're not the first person I've heard that had COVID-like symptoms before it was announced, it's um, it's you're hearing about it more and more and more. Um, and, and who knows, you know, whether it was some version of it or something like it, but whatever it is, you got to go there. You got to be part of that race and you'll have that, you'll have that forever. And, you know, even though you maybe don't have the cool shot of you and your dad hugging you now, you told the world about it. So that's, right, right. that's, that's pretty awesome. And I'm sure he'll, <laughs> he'll be excited about it. So we've definitely covered a lot. Um, I don't know. I usually ask people before we roll out. Cause I know there was definitely something, I know you had some real issues with the delivery of your fourth child and some difficulties with that. If you want to just talk about that a little before we roll out, just because obviously all the other moms out there, you know, that may have had a similar instance in life. And that the fact that you've obviously not only come back from that, or you're in the process of it because your, your daughter's only six months old, right? Right. Basically. Yeah, right. So right. do you, do you want to talk about that a little before we, yeah, um, sure. okay. So I, I mean, this was my fourth delivery and things have gone well. You know, I've had just, um, pretty, I mean, my first birth was the, um, longest and hardest before that, but my second son just popped right out. You know, my third <laughs> one was like very easy. Um, so I just thought this baby, if anything, I'm going to like not get to the hospital in time. Cause that really with my second, I mean, I wasn't in the delivery room when I had him, you know, like, I mean, so I'm thinking fourth baby, she's just going to pop out, you know? Um, and I just thought it would be easy, but it was so weird because my mom was with me, you know, um, before she was staying with us so she could be with the kids and my husband and I could go to the hospital and she said, I just feel like there's going to be a story behind this baby. And I don't think that it's going to be an easy birth. I feel like it's going to be something bad, but you'll laugh about it later. And like right now, I can't imagine laughing about it. But um, I, a lot of things just went wrong in the process that, you know, I don't like from they couldn't get the IV in me. I mean, just things that you that, you know, they could happen to anyone, but all these little things are happening, but whatever. Um, look like I was going to have the baby just fine. Um, but then when I had her, they immediately put her on my chest and the, the delivery was fine. It was, you know, painful as to be expected, but it was fine. Um, and they put her on my chest and then they just started act a little worried. And they were, I mean, they were calm, like medical professionals are, but they were acting a little worried. Um, and what ended up happening is my placenta was not coming out. They got part of it out, but it's, I guess within like 30 minutes, you want to have it out and it was not coming out. Um, I was, I was bleeding a lot. Um, and then they're saying, you know, she's hemorrhaging. We have to figure out what's wrong. And I'm still thinking nothing's wrong. Cause I'm a pretty optimistic person, but they're getting more serious. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be like super graphic, but they're trying to like, actually like pull this out. Um, they brought in, I actually saw the midwives, but I was in the hospital. They brought, uh, you know, different doctors in. they can't get my placenta out. So the, uh, in the meantime, I had lost two liters of blood. They had taken my baby away from me, had her with my husband and they took me into the operating room and I'm sure I'm not going to survive. You know, I mean, they're saying she's lost a lot of blood. We don't know what to do. I'm signing these papers. I don't know what I'm signing. I mean, because I was so out of it, I had lost so much blood. I was so tired. It was whatever, you know, midnight. Um, and then 
I, you know, they, they were saying like, this is life threatening. Um, but I ended up having, I think it was placenta accreta, which my, um, placenta had just like grown into my uterus, um, more so than usual. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but it, you know, for whatever reason, it, it was not coming out the way it should have. And they were, they were saying, oh, you might need a hysterectomy. Um, you know, I mean, all these things were like floating around. I ended up not, I went to the operating room. They were able to get it out. It was a good story, but, uh, I mean, it was like a positive story in the end, but it was very hard emotionally. And when they came in and said, you know, I'm glad to see the white of your eyes today. You know, that is what they said after the surgery, you know, you could have died from this whole thing. I just was like, wow, you know, like facing like real, um, I don't know, like facing like a medical professional telling you that, you know, for the first time in my life. And it's been hard, um, you know, just like thinking of that, like when I, I've, um, talked it through a lot, um, but to not, and obviously, well, not obviously, but I have four kids. I did not want any more kids. I, you know, but they said, you can't have any more kids. And for someone to tell you that, then it's like, well, wait, maybe I did. I definitely don't. We are a hundred percent done. But for someone to say, you can't have any more kids now, it's not my choice anymore, you know? Um, and for that birth to just not go anything like what I thought it was going to. And childbirth is very, and to realize that childbirth is so dangerous and that I never knew. And that so many women don't know that. And, and so many women have a great time, but so many women do not. Um, it just opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed. And it has been hard to deal with. Um, and you know, when I pass the hospital, I'm sad, you know, and when I think about, um, I'm happy for people who are pregnant, but I'm also sad that my final pregnancy did not end the way that I thought it would, you know, that instead I thought I was, you know, not going to make it and that I had a hard recovery. Um, I was on a great treatment plan and, and got on the supplements I needed to, you know, get strong, like very quickly because I had good care, but, um, it was much rougher than it needed to be. And it, um, you know, and people say like, be happy that you have a healthy baby. And of course I am, but I have just been like very much dealing with that, um, not going the way that I wanted it to and not, um, yeah. And just like facing my own mortality and, um, you know, what could have been and what didn't and what can never happen again. So yeah, that's, it's like a positive and a negative all rolled into one. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, because yeah, when you have three and you know, like they're getting better and quicker and you're getting more efficient at it, you sure as heck, that's the last thing on earth you're ever thinking. Um, yeah, you're probably figuring I got this. It's like no problem. And then all of a sudden, not only that, they're saying, we're glad to see the whites of your eyes. So yeah, I don't care if it was your first, your eighth, your second, there's no one no human, um, unless you're like Mr. Spock and Mr. Spock wouldn't be having any babies anytime soon. Anyway, Les Wolkins can have babies. Who knows? Male, maybe Vale Wolkins can. I don't really know. I don't know their, uh, I don't know their story. Um, I love the show though. I was a big Star Trek fan. Um, not, not necessarily Spock. He wasn't that cool. I mean, he was pretty cool. Kirk was way cooler, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way that you wouldn't be riding an emotional roller coaster after something like that. Um, and, you know, I appreciate you sharing it. Um, and I'm sure you're still struggling with it 
to some degree mentally because it's only six months. It's, it's, you know, it's not like it's, uh, you know, two years ago and you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm through this. So, you know, thanks for sharing that and, you know, talk to somebody about it if you have to or can, um, because running is our always our normal therapy. And that's how we, you know, break stuff down and process it and just try to deal with emotion. But this is not something that happens to very many people for sure. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Many things are beyond like the, you know, what you can just get through on your own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when we need help in life, the worst people to ask for help are the ones who are good at giving it, um, yeah. which most cases are moms or right, just people right. who think of others. Um, I right, try right. to do a lot in my community. I try to do a lot for groups and raise a lot of money and do charitable things. And um, I'm the absolute worst person to ask for help. I'm the worst, man. I'm always just looking around at my brothers or friends or whomever it might be and like, you know, how, how can I help this person or this group or whatever? It just, it feels good to help other people, but I am absolutely horrible at saying, you know what, I'm in a really rough spot it. right yeah. now. Right. I need a hand because, you know, and who knows, maybe somebody will listen to this show and, you know, as hard as it might be to believe, maybe someone will have had a similar child rearing story or a similar struggle after having a baby and really had that difficult situation. Um, and maybe there's something they learned from it or, uh, maybe talking to support groups about it, um, doing that at the local hospital, um, talking to some pediatricians about it. I don't, I don't know. Um, I just know that it don't, you have to really think sometimes about like how unique a situation is. And when you share that unique situation with somebody else, you find out, wow, there's a few more people who have been in the situation, um, a few more moms who've struggled with a situation like this. And by talking about it, you might be able to help someone else. We don't want to scare moms who haven't had babies yeah, yet. Right. Because, you know, but, There's so much good in it, but it's like, it's just very important to know that it doesn't always go great. And it's not, you know, um, it's okay to be sad when it doesn't, you know, and it's okay to um, like, no matter, you know, your baby came out, you know, and um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, but I think the most important thing is just realizing that, you know, you're not through it yet. You know, you still have more, more to process on it and you'll, you'll keep working your way through it. And that's, then that's really the most, the most important thing. Right. Um, so running, uh, you know, what's next, you know, do you have any like big goals, you know, for yourself right now with your own running, you just like chilling, enjoying, actually, I do know because I know you won, uh, you won at least one <laughs> local race because uh, yeah. <laughs> my buddy Jared, who does all my podcast graphic, graphics, Jared Lashinsky, you know, designed design by JLPD. Uh, he was shooting because uh, he's local in Pittsburgh like you. So he was shooting either one or maybe two of the races that you won recently. So are you focusing more on just like local speed stuff, local events around the house, like that kind of stuff right now? Is that like feeding your engine right now or? Yeah, well, I just became a master's runner in July, so I'm 40 now. So I'm, um, I mean, I still want to compete with, with, uh, you know, younger ones too, but it's nice, um, to win a little extra money in the master's category as well. So I ran, um, a master's mile, uh, yeah, that was my first race back when my baby was five months old and I ran a 513, which I was really happy about, um, and then I ran a race this past weekend. It was a 4.12 K, which, um, cause we're 412 area code here. Um, so it was a nice distance, you know, about 20, uh, 2.5 miles ish. Um, 
not, not doing the 5k yet, you know, it's a good build one mile race, then 2.5. And next I'll do a 5k. And these are all, well, um, I'd actually never done this mile in Pittsburgh, but it's a Liberty mile. It's a big deal. They bring in, you know, legit elites to run it. Um, and then this other race is just like kind of a fun community race here in Pittsburgh, but I am planning to race mostly in Pittsburgh. We have a big, um, we have the Steelers 5k coming up. I love that race. I've won it four times. It's just so much fun. Um, and then we have a big, uh, 10 K well, it's a 5k, 10 K, but the great race has this big, long history here. And I want to run a fall marathon. I'm still trying to figure out which marathon I might do has to be a little bit later in the fall because, um, I just have not been doing long runs. So, you know, I mean, I want to give myself a good shot at running fast. So, um, if I run a marathon, it'll probably be sometime in November, maybe December. Um, and it won't be in Pittsburgh, uh, cause there our marathon is in May. Um, but yeah, that will probably be my first out of town race, uh, whatever marathon I choose. So now are you talking about for this year for this year? Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. This year. So I'm like full on, like in a couple of weeks, I'll do the Steelers 5k a month later or not later in the later in September, I'll do a 10 K and then I'll just do races, you know, as they come up locally around here. But yeah, this November, okay. I hope November, maybe December, I'll do a marathon if I can get the ball rolling on my long runs. So I love to have some long runs to do uh, a marathon, you know? Yeah. Oh, always a good idea. You know, <laughs> gotta, gotta throw a few of those in there, man. <laughs> Otherwise it's not, it's not going to be pretty uh, out there. Yeah. It's going to be a suffer fest, man. We got to right, get them in. Right. Well, are you thinking like a bigger race or are you going to find something that's more like a Eugene size one? I'm not sure. I mean, at first I was like, I'm going to do a, one of the world marathon majors, you know, like way back when I was pregnant and dreaming, but, um, realistically, I don't want to like, uh, dig myself into a hole. I'm just trying, trying to stay healthy. I'm trying to do things where my body feels good, where my mind feels good, things that I can handle. So, um, I think it'll have to be a smaller race unless I do California international marathon. Um, but I feel like the, uh, that might, it's a lot of people run at my same pace in that race and having like COVID and not doing much with people for a while. I feel like a race where I'm around a lot of people might be, um, like a lot of, of like stimulation that I'm not used to. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it depends. Maybe the more, um, I race, I'll be more comfortable with that, but it's just like a big change from like no racing to doing like a race where I'm, you know, where I'm very close with a lot of people. Um, I, I have to decide how I feel about that. So I might choose a smaller marathon. I really need to get on this cause it's, you know, fall, we're knocking on the door to fall. So, um, and I coach and the state meet, um, our teams should, uh, fingers crossed, make it on both boys and girls to the state meet, which is the first weekend in November. So ideally I would race after that. So I guess there's only a handful of marathons that time of year anyway. So, um, my marathon might choose itself, you know, the yeah. good timing. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it might. Or you could look, you could look at Houston in January or, you know, or yeah, like exactly. you said, you know, yes. Houston's good because although it's a big field, it's not a big field in any of this. The half marathon has a big field, the marathon, but they're not huge numbers. They're not New York numbers. And, and it's really well-organized race. It's spread out. I know what you're saying on CIM because 
the women that are running those times like you, they're, it's like Olympic trials qualifier it's a pack, factory. Yeah, it's a yes. pack. And for the men too, the men too, like they have those groups and there's also men helping to pace the women's group. So it is, it's really all about that. And it is very tightly um, packed in. Uh, and just saying, having run Houston, um, I think you could spread, you can spread out a little bit more, uh, on the roads. The streets are a little bit wider. I mean, I love CIM. It's a fantastic race. Uh, I enjoy the experience there and, um, you know, being yeah, there. Yeah, me too. I've yeah. run it multiple times. I'm yeah. just wondering, you know, like the, the difference of like nothing to, yeah. you know, lots going on, you know, <laughs> so. I, I, I feel, I, I think everybody, I think everybody's feeling that to a degree. I haven't run a real race, not a real one. And I don't count virtual races. I haven't run a real one either since all this has happened because it just hasn't, hasn't been in play. Um, so, you know, you've got plenty, you got plenty on your plate when you're ready to step into the ultra world. I got the oh, JFK wow. 50 ready for you. Cause that's my race director who was just the last guest on and former course record holder. So I got, I got a spot for you in the JFK 50 All whenever, right. whenever okay. you're ready to step up for that. Cause it's not, it's only on the AT for about 13 miles and it's single track. Um, and the, and the rest of it is running on 26.4 miles on, uh, gravel, dirt gravel bed along the Potomac river, which is basically pancake flat, you know, minor, minor little ups and downs, but almost no elevation there. And it finishes eight and a half miles on the roads, which are rolling, which is nice. So you get a chance to use a lot of different muscle groups. So you got to survive on the AT to get to the gravel bed marathon, <laughs> to get to the last eight and a half miles. I'm telling you somewhere out there, you're going to do an ultra. So JFK I 50. I know I will. Yeah. It's true. It's just true. Yeah. I'll, I'll have that. I'll have that set up for you. So, um, we covered a lot, some yes. really, really cool stuff. Amazing running family history. Your <laughs> running history is amazing. And thank totally you. inspiring. So thank you for sharing, you know, so many cool things with the Run Chats audience, which I have no doubt people will be very inspired by your story. But is there anything we didn't get to? Anything that, you know, maybe top of mind, whether it's coaching on the high school level or just something about your family, just something you just didn't get to, you wanted to, the way you talked about your dad, something you didn't get to that you want to share before we uh, before we roll out? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, I really love coaching high school kids. They just, it just like gives me faith in the next generation. Um, they're just so much fun. And we've really built up, um, at my school, a great team. I think we're going to have 17 females and, um, 12 plus males on our roster. And it's just, it's just fun to watch improvement year to year. We're a small school, um, in the city here and we're just, just doing big things. And I'm just excited to watch them grow and stay positive and um, be so uh, connected as a team. It's just been really fun. Our girls team, when I started had four people on it. So to have a roster and that was just, um, four years ago to have, you know, 17 on a roster this year is amazing. Um, and our, we have a history of a really great boys program. Um, and now we have his, you know, we're coming to the next era of like a dominant boys and girls team. So it's just really exciting. That's very exciting. Well, kudos to you for getting involved with coaching and doing your community community piece. Cause there's, there's very few things that can have more of an impact, you know, than getting kids involved with running and for the right reasons. Um, and from your own experience, you've had a really unique experience from running at a very high level, like in college and then having struggles and difficulties and injuries and then coming back 
you know, and doing what you're doing as a master's runner because you're in the master's category yeah, now. So yeah. now you can use the fa faster as a master hashtag. I know. Gonna, it's going to be my new phase. There right? you go. <laughs> I mean, and believe me, you have every right to be using uh. the faster as a master hashtag. You you got that one cornered. So um, good stuff. Um, such a good time talking to you, getting to know you. So I appreciate you, you sharing. And you. Uh, we close out every episode by telling everybody to keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. Jen Bigham really brought the inspo in this one. And I loved how she shared so many trials and tribulations she went through along the way. A huge gap in her training and not resuming serious running until after the birth of her first daughter. Finding out her brother believed in her in this dream of making the Olympic trials as he had done, even though she couldn't run three miles at that pace. What a big leap of faith. And despite chopping huge amounts of time down from 314 to 251, she got stuck in those 250s for a long period of time. It took her eight years to unravel that mystery and battled health ailments along the way and just kept chugging and kept putting in the work. And to me, those are the most inspiring stories, the people that just keep grinding and keep working and don't believe, you know, don't lose that self-belief that you can achieve one day and make it happen. And she sure did. And I have to tell you, I think there's way bigger things in store for Jen. I think she's really going to show us what that faster as a master hashtag is really all about because she's just starting to get the speed back. And she's starting to really blitz some of those faster, shorter distance times. And I think um, even faster marathon PRs are ahead for her. And I'm, uh, I'm here for it all, including getting her brothers to all line up and run in the next trials and, and hosting that Hollywood Square style podcast. I'm here for all of it. So I hope you're all will get as inspired listening to Jen's story as I did, as she told it and uh, got to learn more about her and what makes her tick. And if you do, please take a moment to share it on Instagram stories, on Facebook. Let a friend know, let a mom know who's uh, maybe had a difficult childbirth or had some postpartum issues or having a hard time getting back, getting in shape, getting fit. I think hearing Jen's story will inspire a lot of people. So uh, the Run Chats audience is fantastic in that area and I appreciate you all so much. And as my pod uh, swag starts to come to be, anyone out there that's writing positive reviews, if I, can figure out who you are out there. You let me know in a PM. I could assure you I'm going to send some stuff off to you to thank you for being loyal listeners and being a part of the show. So thanks again for all of you to making this special. And as we say at the end of every episode, we keep lacing them up. We keep getting out the door and we always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>